Now, I mean, there's a big difference. Me, I'm, there's that intellectual sort of <laughs> sort of quality. With you, it's just whining. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go. Let's do it. Well, at least we have our intro now. Yes. Welcome to the intro. I'm Josh Anderson. I'm Bob Galen. With the summertime blues. With the summertime blues. It's June in North Carolina. And it's a little it's a little warmer than usual. Have you noticed that, Josh? It's toasty and rainy. It is all toasty. At once. It is we are we are toasty here. So and the, so outside it's hot and Metacasters, it's even hotter on the inside. <laughs> I can't. What am I supposed to do with that? I can't. I just, uh, I want to say just on to the episode, but I know there's a conference you're going to in August. Uh, so, so, so everyone, so one announcement, I'm, I'm uh, speaking, I have, I got two uh, sessions accepted at the Agile Conference in Washington, D.C. this year. Uh, it's in August, early August, so I'll be there. So if you happen to be up there, Mary Thorne is going to be there. She has a talk, uh, and I'll just be hanging out for the week. So if you're up there, just say hello. Absolutely. Other than that, just. Pass the word in your network on the Metacast. We want global thermonuclear podcast domination. So help us in that. I, that may be a big, hairy, audacious goal, but so be it. That's our goal. Yeah. And we're sticking to it. Absolutely. So on to the episode, On to the episode. Welcome to the Metacast. I'm Josh Anderson. I'm Bob Galen. Indeed. What are we going to talk about today, Josh? We're going to talk about knowing and deciding to leave. You said the nest. I like that metaphor. I did. Yeah, didn't you? You said oh, in the in the prep. Yeah. So leaving the nest. This is the leaving the nest episode. What do you think? Yeah. The background for this is Bob and I often are contacted or discuss with peers about some frustration they have in their current place of work, and they're unsure what to do. Oftentimes, what I've learned over the past. Four years, and I know Bob tried to coach me through this about a decade ago. With experience, you start to see the writing on the wall, and you understand things aren't going to get much better. But unfortunately, so many people are hesitant to take the leap, or as I said in the prep, get pushed out of the nest. It's comfortable, it's safe, it's not great, but you know, I, I'm not. I don't want to jump out and maybe land flat on my face. So what am I going to do? I'm just going to sit here and complain, maybe be frustrated, um, not put in as much effort and energy, which isn't going to make the change you want to see instead of going out there and making something new happen. So that's what this episode is about for me is encouraging people out there to be comfortable and confident to go make the change that will make them happier. And that's really the ultimate discussion topic that I get to with everyone is, are you happy now? And once someone gets to the point where they recognize or discover that they are or aren't happy, then the decision becomes relatively simple. There is in my Cal class, I um, show this Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs did a uh, Metacasters. You can you can uh, find it on YouTube. He did a um, a graduation um, 
speech for Stanford University. It's pretty famous, mm-hmm. and you can find it. So the commencement speech, and he talked about three things. And in that, it's about 15 or 20 minutes, so it's it's absolutely worth listening to. And uh, not only on this topic, but how how someone, how great a public speaker he is. And, and if you want to be a storyteller, I use it for storytelling in the cow class. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he talks about like the ultimate measure is if you, if you get up in the morning and you ask yourself if this was the last day of my life. Mm-hmm. So he uses death sort of as an alignment tool to say, if I was going to die at right. the end of today, would I, would I, uh, would I do what I'm going to do today? Right. Am I going to do that? Would I be doing this stuff? And if the answer comes back, no, too many days in a row. And then later on in the talk, he talks about doing what you love. Right. Right. And it's sort of, he says, that's, that's the divining rod for, uh, that, that decision. And if you come up with a lot of no's, then you have to change. Mm -hmm. Or his recommendation is you have to change. And, and I like that. That's sort of the, the death metaphor or the death check. Uh, I'm not trying to be more. No, no, no. But it's this is my last. Yeah. But you know what? We have limited time. Yeah. I'm not being morbid. Mm-hmm. But damn it, we we in our lives. I mean, you're you're what? You just turned forty or something. Forty three. You're forty three. Mm-hmm. Your kids are grown. Mm-hmm. When I met you, you your kids were little. Right. My, my youngest wasn't even born. Right. And I remember visiting your home, and they were just little rugrats running around while we were doing our first Metacast or something. Mm-hmm. And now, when I look at pictures of your kids. It's like they're big mm-hmm. and they're they're becoming adults. If right. not, if not, you yeah. know, they're on the cusp of adulthood. My point is, that's almost gone from my point of view in a blink of an eye. Mm-hmm. I'm sure it has for you as well. Oh yeah, right. It's it's. I mean, I know it's ten years or whatever it is, yeah. but it, but it's also the blink of an but eye. It went fast. It went fast. It goes fast, and I think we have to. I think we're too complacent sometimes. I think you know we don't think in terms of you know <clears throat> our our place. And happiness and doing what we love to do and how important that is and realizing that our career can be very fleeting. So, yeah. so bumping that up in the backlog right. from a priority point of view. One thing I didn't discover until probably the last five years was what really made me happy in a workplace. I was just chasing a career. I was just trying to advance. I was trying to get that, that next job, that next title, that next thing. But it wasn't until probably five or six years ago where I started to really hit the pause button because I was getting frustrated in some of the jobs. It's like, okay, well, what do I do? And I even said, let me name the three companies I want to work for. And I wrote them down. I reached out. I went on interviews and I realized that wasn't what I wanted. So then I had to reset myself and say, what makes me happy? And every, every move I've made since then has been to remove some of the things that created frustration and increase the things that made me happy and just do more of that. But I didn't know what I was chasing. I was just chasing. I was just running. Right. I was just in a career. So maybe that trying to for, maximize for this metacast, maybe the prime, the prime decision or the prime revelation is trying to discover real quickly what makes you happy? Right. And then are you in that, are you in a happy place yeah. right Right now? Mm-hmm. And if you're not in a happy place, then sort of trying to reconcile that. Maybe that's, that's the happiness factor and the discovery. I, I remember asking you because yeah. you were sort of in, in the path. I, I'm sort of a mentor with you sometimes. Mm-hmm. And 
you know, I would, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? Yeah. And we talked about that. Yeah. And at one point you had this idea and then you had that idea. Now I think you've narrowed in to your point. Yeah. You've narrowed in and you understand yourself. You understand yeah. where you want to be. Absolutely. Uh, like I said, I was <clears throat> chasing titles and roles right. and I thought that was the thing that would make me happy. But then I got those titles and roles and realized, oh, crap, that's <laughs> – okay, right. cool, I did it. Now right. what? And, oh, this isn't as fun as I had hoped. Well, to share with the Metacasters, I mean, to be specific, you're a builder, I think, mm -hmm. the way yeah. we've talked about it. You want to build something. You're an entrepreneur yeah. in your spirit. So mm -hmm. you, you're not necessarily a work-for-someone-else kind no. of person. Yeah. Although an entrepreneur works for the board and things right. like that. But you want to be. I don't that's, even want a board, right? Well, but you may have. You, <laughs> I know. I know. You, you may yeah, have investors and yep. things like that. But at the end of the day, you you want to build something mm -hmm. with your hands yeah. in this space, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and it, but it took me, gosh, fifteen years to figure that out. Right. Right. And so, but it was in those moments where it's so many of the people we've talked to over the past six months or a year where they're frustrated and they're unhappy and that forced me to figure out why I was unhappy and right. it gave me the opportunity to hit a pause button and actually open my eyes a little bit and pay attention on a day-to-day -day basis to the things that created frustration and the things that put a smile on my face. Right. And I started to really pay attention to those and do that same kind of health check of, okay, is today a good day or a bad day? Right. And what made it good and what made it bad? And that's been a lot of the discussions I've had when people have reached out to me is, what is frustrating you? What makes you happy? What would you like to do? And so often there's that pregnant pause when you ask people what they're looking for or what they want to do. So that's the first like homework lesson that I tell people like, okay, go try and figure this out. Right. Take a couple months and really investigate and invest well, in and, yourself. and reflect, right? Yeah. Really. It's a quiet thing. I mean, it's like you were, so there's a lot of fluff there and there's a lot of things that derail our thinking like money. Mm -hmm. We need money and, mm -hmm. and family and, and revenue, you know, sort of, uh, bills versus income. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, if you can cut through that, you still can do that. You can still stay where you're at, but at least you know what your happiness proposition is, right? Yeah. Discover your happiness. Can I tell a quick story? Please do. Or, so I remember at EMC, I worked at EMC for like three, four years, years ago, mm -hmm. 90s, in the late 90s, and Joan was there. And Joan was a project manager mm -hmm. uh, in various forms, and she, but she, in essence, she was a project manager. And I was a manager or a director, and she, and uh, I would get there early. And every day, and Medicasters, I apologize if I've told this story before, but I don't know if I have. Every So I'd get there like 7, 7.30. Right. They had a little cafeteria. I'd go get breakfast. I'd do my journaling. I'd plan the day. So mm -hmm. that was my little private time. Mm -hmm. And then around 7.30, quarter to 8, every day, Joan would come in. And she'd have fifteen. She'd have her coffee in her hand, and she would just bitch. Mm -hmm. She would bitch for fifteen minutes about how the job sucked. Right, right. And Joan had been there at EMC. She had been there in the Data General days. So at the time, she was there twenty years. I just ran into her the other day mm -hmm. uh, at uh, Caribou Coffee, and she's okay. retired now. Yeah, and but she stayed there. And uh, I and then she would and then she'd leave and she'd work the day. Mm -hmm. Then she'd come in the next day, and this went this went on for my entire tenure at the company. And Joe never did leave. So she was absolutely miserable, mm -hmm. but she st stood in for the duration for some reason. And 
I, I, don't, I don't use that. I use that as an anti-pattern. Yeah. I use that as motivation of what not to do. I'm not, I'm not picking on Joan personally, but I'm like, I'm, I'm glad I wasn't Joan. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, can you imagine working? She worked in the same place for 30 years and was unhappy every day, but never took action to leave. That, yeah. that was the enigma for me. It was like, why didn't you, I, I don't get that. I think there's also been a, I don't know what, big fancy word there is, but there there's, there's been a change in how work is viewed. <clears throat> like I know where I grew up in Ohio, it was okay. You go somewhere and you work there for 30 years and you retire and you maybe get a pension or whatever. And you suck it up. I guess. Yeah. And that's, and that's the way it goes. I remember early in my career, I was changing jobs for a second time and my parents sat me down and they said, Josh, you can't do this. This is not going to be good for your career to change as often as you're changing. You're going to get labeled and you're not going to be able to get a job. You're going to be a jumper. Nobody's going to want to hire you. Yeah. A job hopper. Right? Yeah. yeah. And I, <clears throat> I just rejected that. I was like, no, this is, this is, this is the new way. This isn't the way it used to be. I'm not at the one factory in the city where everybody works or else you don't have a job. This is, this is a new way of working. I can go get jobs at, banks or insurance companies or a software company or anything. There's plenty of opportunity. It wasn't just tenure. What they were saying was your happiness matters less yeah. than the job, right? Yeah. Like you, you're happy. They weren't saying, they probably didn't say it exactly that way, right. but they were, they were like, you need to stay there. No yeah, matter what. It was what. the suck it up mindset. It was and deal with suck it. it up and deal yeah. with it. You're a grown up now. Right. Um, that's probably one of the things that was driving Joan to some degree, mm-hmm. but it has changed. Um, I actually think it should have, I mean, think about what we're just saying. It's like your happiness is lower, right? You, you, you want to be miserable just to get a paycheck. Right. I, I don't even know if that was correct then. A lot of people right. bought into that. That was that sort of stay with the company forever. The company is your friend mm-hmm. mindset, right? The company right. is my partner. I think when I realized it was when I was laid off from Lucent in 2001, I, that was the final harsh shake that I needed. I'm thankful. I'm incredibly thankful for that. Where the, that departure shook me up and made me realize that I had to take control of my own destiny mm-hmm. rather than tying my wagon, you know, hitching my horse yeah. to a to a company. Uh, I don't know what I would have done if I wouldn't have gotten that shake up event. Uh, I may have gotten there, right? But it was longer. And it's been mind blowing to me the number of people I've talked to in the past eighteen months. Where I've said to them, do you realize how marketable your skills are? You, you can literally get a job in about a thousand different places just in this town. You just have to put yourself out there and be willing to give it a right. shot. It, it's because these folks felt like there was nowhere else for them to go. And I was blown away that in 2018, 2019, they had this perception of, my skills are not marketable. My skills are not worth anything. Nobody else wants what I have. And I, these are good engineers. These are good employees. So I'm going to disagree and agree with you at the same time. Ooh, okay. I do think Joan, one of the things keeping Joan there was she, EMC, she understood as a project manager at EMC, mm-hmm. she knew everything about their release processes. She mm-hmm. knew everything about their like part numbers and things. She was a domain expert with that. So she had a niche mm-hmm. based on her knowledge of that. But if she would have ever left there, she would have been starting from scratch. 
Uh, the other thing is she was paid very well. I mean, over time, you got mm-hmm. paid very well. So if she would have left, so there are people that have translatable skills. I don't think Joan ever sharpened her saw. Mm-hmm. She she was. I, I think there's two genres, is what I'm trying to say. I okay. think I think there are people who, based on uh, their hard work or happenstance, they 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 maintain their relevancy, and they can do that. Mm-hmm. And then then there are people, and they may not look. And they are relevant. Mm-hmm. And then there are people who are not sharpening their saw, and who are being complacent and yeah. along for the ride. I mean, I know an, I know a, one of my neighbors is a project manager at IBM, mm-hmm. and he would have an incredibly hard time trans leaving IBM at this point, right? And translating that and being comfortable because right. it, you know he would be working in a company that's not the IBM way, mm-hmm. etc. Right? And he could not command his, the salary that he's commanding now, mm-hmm. even though it's, it may not be competitive. It may not be great. It, you know, he probably couldn't get that competitive a salary. So I think, I think there's, there's two genres. The people that keep themselves sharp, whatever that means, and the people that get complacent. And I think complacency is part of it. Would you see that? Yeah. That, that's the, analogy not every, we talked so- about, not right? every software engineer a, maintains relevancy. I, I don't think. Correct. Right? Yeah. Correct. Right? But it's, but it doesn't mean it can't be, you can still take the saw. Yeah, and yeah, get yeah. It sharpened, right? Absolutely. The, the saw's oh, no, not one busted. Of, yeah. No, one of the things that frustrated me about Joan, I, this is like the Joan episode <laughs> or something. But I no, she had, she could have done that. Yeah. Right. I mean, it might have taken. Well, it certainly would have taken effort, and but she could have done that, mm-hmm. uh, but she chose not to. Yeah, and that's the biggest thing is trying to get people to take that time and be introspective and figure out. What would make them happy? And you do have to be careful because the grass is always greener, right? There's, there's, and no place is perfect. No place has exactly everything that you want. So can you find a place that's better? And what are the things that is, are better? That was a big thing for me was learning to inspect in the hiring process and understand, is this new situation better than the situation that I'm in? And that was one of those things where I, there were a couple times I leaped before I looked as well as I should have. Right. And I've learned over th- with those mistakes to have a clear definition of done for me, right? right? right. Of this is, this is what done looks like for, right. a, for a different, better job. And I've learned how to, in the hiring process, check those boxes off and say, yep, yep, yep. Nope. Okay. We don't have that one. I'm, I'm, I'm not going, I'm staying where I'm at. I'm going to find somewhere else. Um, so that was the, the thing and just learning, what mattered and being picky about it and not settling. There's a young guy I'm coaching. I, I do some pro bono coaching and I'm coaching him actively now. And, um, uh, he's sort of, he's at this place where I think he's looking for work, mm-hmm. right? He's, he's sort of waffling a little bit, but, uh, he's looking for work. And I think he had an interview and I, I talked to him before the interview and I was trying to convince him to interview so, so to actively interview them mm-hmm. and to really spend time thinking about it. He was preparing mentally for, you know, their questions. And, and I was trying to prepare him for, you need to really strongly yeah. interview, particularly for an agile coach, because as an agile coach, you have to be sort of seeing between the lines mm-hmm. and seeing the, and I think for leadership, like I resonate with your, if you're looking for leadership roles and things like that, you really have to actively listen and interview 
them to see not what they say, mm -hmm. but what their body language is like. Ask them for stories and really look between the lines of the stories to see yeah. what is the culture? What am I walking into? And a lot of folks don't. If you haven't done this very often and you're making the leap, I, I think people, that first job hop mm -hmm. is really hard sometimes for people because they make a lot of mistakes. And it's hard because they're selling you. Yeah. So they're telling you what you want to hear. So I've learned to formulate discussions or questions where I could really get to the essence of who they were and who they are, as opposed to just giving them the layup exactly. answer. Like, exactly. Oh yeah, that I know exactly what you want to hear. Here's the 75 words that will get you to nod your head and say, okay, cool. This person is saying what I want them to say. Right. So you have to shape and build questions where it's not a canned answer. Or even I used, I think I even used your interview style where you, uh, you know, you confront someone with yeah. some, uh, you try to see how they handle a bad answer yeah. or something. Right? right. And I said, why don't you, you know, I said, one thing you can try is to give them sort of a, a you know, a heresy answer, mm -hmm. you know, like how do you coach a team that, you, you know, you want to improve the performance and you say, well, I really don't try to improve performance. I focus on the people. Right. It's not about the velocity. It's about the people. Mm -hmm. And just leave it at that and then see how they react to that. Right. Yeah. And if they react well to that, then, then we're don't, or if they get quiet, that's even an answer, right? Depending on how they respond. So that was also a transformation for myself that didn't happen again the same time around five or six years ago where I stopped apologizing for who I was. I got really frustrated when I discovered this. I would, during the hiring process, describe myself as a team first person. And then I would put this attachment to it sometimes to a fault. And it was like, I really believe in team, but I'm worried you're not going to like that answer. So I'm going to soften it for you. Mm -hmm. And I stopped doing that. And I got really frustrated with myself for not owning what mattered to me exactly. and not putting on the table and saying, this is who I am. And then, and then, Love really, it or leave it. And then putting your radar up and yeah. really not just listening, but body language, right? Yeah. Pause, just listening to what happens right. as a result of that. Yeah. Yeah. So that's been something that has transformed for me is knowing who I am, knowing what I want and sharing it completely because I want any discovery to happen in that hiring process and not nine months later and have both of us look at each other right. and say, this isn't what I thought it right. was going to be. Going back to what you said earlier, I think, I think one of the early things, if someone is not happy where they're at, it, and you sort of give an answer, I'm going to circle back and focus on it. I think goal setting and understanding what you want mm -hmm. is is really important. So there's a lot of people, you know, I, I get like inquiries once every week or two where someone is looking for me to help guide them out of a mess right. or something. And sometimes I, I try to help them, but it, it it depends on the person. But mm -hmm. one of the first things I ask them is, what do you want to do? Right. And I can't tell you how often the answer is, I don't know. Right. Or the answer is something superficial. Or the answer is, I want to do three things. I want to do five right. things, right? I, I could, like, I really hate it when someone is like, I could do this, and I could do this, and I could do this. And it's almost like, I want to be a manager or a director or this or that or that. You just want a paycheck. Mm -hmm. And they don't like that. But it's like, you need to focus in on what is what is the one thing. Be a product owner of yourself. Right. What is the one thing you want to do? So I think that's probably the first. If you're if you're not passing the uh, Steve Jobs test and you're truly unhappy, I think the first step is sort of figuring out what you want to do. Right.
Uh, and you did that. You, yeah, and that's not – please don't expect it to be, I'm going to figure this out over a weekend no. or on a drive home. It's going to be a multi-month exercise right? for you to really watch, look, and listen, both yourself and the company, and paying attention to it and allowing the outliers to be outliers and not something that drives you to jump off a cliff too soon. Right. But you've got to be patient and really take the time, like you said, and every morning – Am I excited? Am I happy? When I come home, am I happy? Right. <laughs> am I excited? Right. Right. Those those type of things. And what are the needle movers? What are the things that affect my needle of happiness that push it way to the right versus way to and the left? And you can sort of measure and then decide. And then uh, I'm trying to give folks a toolbox of sorts or a step, mm-hmm. maybe a sequence. I think the next step is to do a skills assessment. Uh, whereas, okay, this is what I want to do. How do I stack up against that? Right. Right. Uh, so I'll pick Joan. If Joan decided to leave, she would have had to sharpen some things. In fact, her even her, her biggest problem was her mindset. Mm-hmm. She was very closed. It's like, this is what I do. So I don't think actually Joan's biggest issue was her skills. Joan's biggest issue was I have one way of looking at the world. It's the EMC way. Mm-hmm. And if you'd have put her in any other environment, she would have struggled, and she knew that. Mm-hmm. So, so almost in Joan's case, it's like take any other job, whatever, and and sort of ruffle your feathers right. and see how you handle it, and then maybe you can take another job. But you need to disrupt. You need to disrupt yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the, but to me, that's the skills assessment. So it's not just hard skills; it's mindset skills, it's soft skills as well. Like where where's my mindset? Am I am I tolerant of change? Am I not tolerant of change? Etc. What do you think about? That is a next I, step. So I, I, you know, cocked my head to the left like a dog and looked off into the space as you said that because I was really, I really latched on to the disrupt word. We talked about disrupting an industry or disrupting something. It's, it's, you need to disrupt your comfort. Yeah. And you need to be willing to provide yourself a little bit of a shakeup and see how you react and learn from that and adjust and iterate and do all those things. But there are so many times where folks, there is the comfort and they're unwilling to disrupt it because I've got it kind of good. It's comfy and cozy. I'll just stay here, but it sucks. And I'm going to complain about it to Bob every morning at seven 45 yeah, yeah, and he'll exactly. just listen to it. And exactly. you know, that's, that's my venting session. The, the one th- I, I, I'm wondering how you react to this because I don't know if it's relevant today, but and this was this is like twenty five years ago or so, mm-hmm. plus or minus five years. Uh, it used to be that if you know people who were in those long those long tenured roles, mm-hmm. like ten, fifteen, twenty years, uh, the studies showed that your next job you had very short tenure, less than a year, something mm-hmm. like there was there was all these studies that said whether it was grass's greener syndrome or you couldn't handle the change or you were so used to it. That you would stay at your next job for a year, nine to nine months to twelve months, and you would bounce off your next job, mm-hmm. and then you would stick at the next job. So it was sort of you needed a bounce to clear your yeah. head. Yeah. Was the way I get it. The way it the the data showed that, and I saw that in my career. Now I started bouncing around a lot, mm-hmm. relatively frequently, which kept me on my toes. Do you think that's still relevant today? That it would almost be so if we get too anxious about making the perfect next step we ought to it's almost an experiment let's see yeah. if this works knowing that we may have to bounce again and that's okay mm-hmm. so the bounce rule what do you think yeah i, 
I could see that as being the trend. I know when we were hiring like crazy for the dude, I, I actually liked people that changed jobs every couple of years. And if somebody had been somewhere for 10 or 15 years, I was nervous about their willingness to handle change or their willingness to drive change. And And the dude being the next place that they were going to be. Yeah. Yeah. And, And so I was more hesitant about somebody that sent in a resume with 15 years at one location. And I thought, Holy cow, how are they going to handle coming in here Right. Where we're building everything from scratch, right. nothing set in stone. We don't have the process yet. We're still evolving. All of these things are happening. Whereas someone that had been in three different jobs in the past six years, they were clearly more comfortable with a little bit of change and a little bit of chaos. So that was that that was a profile that we were looking for because of the amount of change that we were driving. That we needed everybody to be willing to change, right. and those that stayed in a place for a decade plus how willing are they to change and to drive change because that was the key that i saw was okay maybe they're not willing to disrupt themselves and we're trying to do a whole lot of change here and we need people that are comfortable and willing to make that happen from a checkpoint perspective or you know sort of a checklist perspective i do think finances come into play Mm -hmm. um I was I was coaching. I met a, a young guy for coffee a few weeks ago, and it was like a coaching interview. And uh, he was maybe mid thirties, I'm thinking, uh, and I think he was single. I don't know, but the real point is, he if, I forget what he said. Why? Maybe his his parents were fiscally conservative or something. But he literally was like in his mid thirties, mm-hmm. and he didn't need to work. Mm. And he could almost, he had no debt. Uh, he was one of these minimalists, like the, you know, the little, yeah. what, the tiny house. Right. There's a movement nowadays yeah. where people like have no possessions whatsoever or something. Mm-hmm. So he was, in, like he said, he, he slept on a mat on the floor. That was his bed. Mm. He was, he was incredibly minimalist. Um, I think single had been pretty frugal, traveled a lot. He mm-hmm. really, so he, he prioritized like what he wanted to do yeah. in that. And, uh, and, and therefore, I mean, he still needed to work to some degree, but he was very independent financially. And that gave him the freedom we were talking about. You know, he was sort of in a place where he could decide to do what he wanted to do. Mm-hmm. I think I think frugality or financial, your financial position does weigh in, particularly with people. With, I yeah. mean, you should resonate yeah, with this. To absolutely. Some. So I think part of it, we can talk a good game about. You know, looking in the mirror, and do you hate what you're doing? But if you have like five kids who are going to school mm-hmm. and need clothes and stuff, you sort of have to. I think. I think having savings. I think part of the preparation should be your financial sort of stability or your savings proposition. Is it a two income household stuff like that? So does that practicality come into play, or do you just do you just ignore it and go for happiness? Uh, I think it shapes your risk profile, but I still, I still was willing to take risks. And I can tell you the person that was most concerned was my wife. We were a single income house for a long time while she was raising the kids because she was a teacher. So the cost to send the kids to daycare was more than her yeah. salary as a teacher. Yeah. So we decided that she was going to do it herself. Well, the kids are grown now, so she's figuring that out. And she has this, I want to contribute mindset 
Yep. And she wants to, so, so she went and worked and did the job and wasn't happy and now has an idea for a startup and is going to go make that happen. And she, she's just like, I need to contribute. And I said, no, you don't. We've been fine for 20 years without you doing this. Right. So now treat yourself like that college student that can live on minimal income and has a startup idea and you you have that freedom to go make that happen. Right. That's what I should have done 20 years ago, but I couldn't. Right. And I pri- prioritize family and a career above that. Now I'm in a place where I can do that and I've discovered the things that really matter instead of chasing a career, I'm chasing that thing that makes me happy and a startup and building a company. That's that's the thing for me. So now I've done that. I don't have the, I can't take the same risks that she can. Right. But that's the that's the mindset I'm trying to get her into, which is very uncomfortable for her because her parents are right. fiscally conservative. Her right. dad is conservative, so she's got right. that. So she has that 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 upbringing where she has this this desire to contribute. So I've been trying to help her along the way, but that's a you know that's forty years of how you were raised, and what do you do? How do you get over that? Um, so like I said, I, along the path, I, I was more risky than others. Um, I wanted to be more risky and there were moments along my journey as I look back that if I had been more educated about my options, I would have made different choices that would have been way more risky, but I think they would have been potentially more impactful, but I was unwilling to take that leap. Because I had a couple young kids, and but I think moving. you've been risky even of late. I oh, mean, yeah. you've you've been riskier. You've tried to do the balance. I mean, I'm sort of proud of you, or I'm you know mm-hmm. sort of I'm envious. I mean, I it's it's I know how hard it is, and you you've sort of done the balance with a family. You've still put your money with your mouth, you know, mm-hmm. where your mouth is from the change perspective. You've tried to balance the risk. Yeah. But you've done that, right? And I mean, you put happiness up there. Yeah. I remember one time you talked about, uh, I don't know if this drives you at all, but, you know, like the uh, the model that you're setting for your children. Oh, yeah. Right? Uh, like, you know, the role model that mm-hmm. you're setting. Like, do I whine? I'll pick on Joan again because yeah. it's comfortable. I mean, Joan was setting the, you know, suck it up, whine all the time model, which isn't really that healthy of a, mm-hmm. of a model. But you, you, even now, you, you're like you're role modeling risk taker and, yeah. and going with what you care about to your kids. Does that drive you? Does that help it? Absolutely, it drives both my wife and I. In fact, I don't know if it was last summer, or I think it was last summer. And I told the kids, "Go start a business this summer, and every dollar you make, I'll give you two dollars." Oh wow! So if you make a hundred dollars, I'll give you two hundred dollars. Yeah. So you will have made three hundred dollars. Go. Build something, something, go sell something, go do yeah. it, and I will incentivize you. Didn't happen. Yep. I'm going to do it again because yeah. guess what? This is the first day of summer vacation. Yeah. And they've – I can see the mindset in the older two. I can see them thinking. I see the wheels turning. Yep. And so I think we'll get there. But but that has been one of those things where I've I've pushed very heavily on them, be creators, not consumers. Right. Don't just sit and watch what other people create. Go and right. create something that you're passionate about. So then I feel this weight of, oh, I can't be this jerk out here telling you, go do this. Right. But I'm not going to do it. Right. So now there's those eyes have turned on me and say, oh, 
dad's got a couple companies. Oh, he's got a nonprofit that he started too. Oh, mom has this thing. Oh, when she's starting this thing and they're doing it, why, why are they doing it? Exactly. So that's exactly. something that we try and talk to them about is, well, we're doing this because this is what we're good at and we like it and we enjoy it. And yeah, it helps pay the bills. But at the end of the day, we come home happier because there were days I may have shared this once or twice. There, there was a time at Teradata where I came home and my wife said, Josh, you're not as good a father as you used to be. And that was, you, you know, that's just reaching in that's and ripping everything out. Yeah. Right. That yeah. was, and that's what I needed. But that's that lack of happiness. Right? Yeah. I mean, that's, and I brought it home and yeah. I couldn't, I couldn't be the dad I wanted to be or the dad that I had been. Right. So though, those were, but yeah, that those, those six eyes <laughs> are watching everything they do. And is dad willing to take a risk and do something that's a bit out oh, of the And norm? even if they don't do it, I mean, you never know that modeling may not show up for the next 10 years with the kids. Yeah. It may show up 10 years from now. You don't know when it'll surface. You can't right. predict, yeah. right? But you're making, but they're observing you, yeah. right? They're watching you yeah. and they're learning. The, there's an intent part of the checklist where I think it's not easy. So I th- I'll pick on Joan again. I think Joan was intimidated by, so it's, I think it's easier to be complacent. I think it's safer to just whine and bitch than it is to do something about it. Like mm-hmm. to go out there and train yourself, to go out there right. and interview, to go out there and network, to go out there, uh, take another job, mm-hmm. right? Even if it's a risky job and, right. and springboard, et cetera. It's pretty scary. It's, it's almost, it, and it's almost, I think the thing is you need this inertia. It's like a springboard. You almost need to go through the springboard and just do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, because the more you inch up, I think the less likely you are to launch. So it's sort of failure to launch. Remember that there was yeah. a movie a while back. You almost have to launch yourself and trust mm-hmm. that you've set things up. React to that. Yeah, that, that's I. Yeah, that's the way I roll. And I've taken jobs where I've told them, okay, I'm willing to do this because I'm willing to bet on me because I had that momentum that you, that you talked about. So I brought this confidence with me that propelled me. If I tiptoed in that inertia wasn't there and I would have stumbled and fallen flat, but I already had this running start because I had this confidence that I kept telling myself, okay, we got this, we can do this. It's going to happen. I had that belief that, that, that to your point, if you're a Spider-Man, you know, you think about it in all the movies, the first time he goes up on top of the roof and he decides he's going to try and jump from one building to the next and he's scared and he's nervous and he doesn't think he's going to make it. So he doesn't make it. And then he comes back a half hour later in the movie and he's confident because he just did something without yep. thinking. And I was like, okay, I got this. Yeah. And he jumps and he makes it. And then that's where Spider-Man becomes Spider-Man. So I think that goes back to the people like generationally, the folks who hop are better at hopping. Mm-hmm. They're more cognizant of their happiness. Yeah. We use the term millennial for those folks, and they recognize, you know, what's driving them to work. And folks who are or not uh, maybe have had all this inertia. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think I think the game plan is to hop. Right? Mm-hmm. It is to hop. now prepare yourself. Prepare yourself financially a little bit. Right. Prepare your network. Prepare your resume. Prepare your skills, etc. But but realize that every ounce of your being. Is, is resisting it because of like old patterns and you just have to like leap. There's mm-hmm. a sort of a leap of faith, right? Mm-hmm. That you have to do. And that's uncomfortable. Now, now I don't, Joan never made that leap of faith, right? So, so it's, you almost have this decision. It's the Jobsian thing. 
Are you going to, and I don't know if you're terrible if you stay. No. Right. I don't think you suck if you stay. I mean, that's a, we all make decisions, mm-hmm. but it's, I, I think, I think it's a question of, you know, it's the leap. Ultimately, the, the primary thing is the leap of faith. Would you buy that? Yeah. It, 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 that, that confidence is the thing. And that's really the message I want people to walk away from this episode with is you have skill. You have marketability. You have the opportunity. If you're listening to this, you're investing in yourself. Well, not just that. I mean, yes, I'm, yes, and this agile space. So Joan was a project manager, mm-hmm. and part of it was agile was disrupting mm-hmm. project management. Traditional leaders nowadays. I've been leading in IBM for forty years. Mm-hmm. It's going to be really hard for me yeah. to, to to jump. Our audience is agilists, for God's sakes, mm-hmm. agilists. Now that that's a different proposition. Those folks have opportunities up the wazoo. Right now, they may still have the same inertia, the same feeling of sort of fear, uncertainty, and doubt. But and you said this very early on in the in the episode. There's opportun- there's opportunities out there, mm-hmm. uh, and there's opportunities to jump. And if it doesn't work out, to jump again. And if it doesn't work out, to jump again. Right, like good scrum masters, good agile developers, yeah. good agile testers, good uh, coaches, good, good, good mm-hmm. BAs, folks who understand user stories. I mean, you, I see, I get job ads all the time for yeah. that stuff. Yep, uh, you're almost doing yourself a disservice if you're, again, if you're not happy and if, if you're in the agile space, boy, you need to take the lead, yeah. don't you think? Definitely, definitely. Okay, fork. Are we forking it? I think so. So, from beautiful downtown Cary, North Carolina, I'm Bob Galen. (laughs) I'm Josh Anderson. Shake. And bake. Take care, y'all.